One of the biggest decisions you make is marriage, the old ball and chain. Tune in today and we're gonna walk you through all the things you need to make sure you do to make sure it's fruitful and successful from all angles, including your finances. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Brian, I love this because, and you know this, right? So uh, we are so fortunate. We get to do uh, financial planning and investment management. We get to help people make good decisions with money. And uh, one of the very first things that we do when uh, spouses come to us is we try to do a risk assessment on each of their risk personalities and profiles. Because what we're ultimately trying to drill into are how the uh, spouse one and spouse two look at finances differently, how they think about money differently. And the reason that is the very first thing that we do is because it's pretty important and it has a huge impact on long-term financial success, right? For sure. And that's what I wanted because it's one of my favorite things with this job is that I do love to see the interaction between spouses. It is just so much fun to see the different, you know, assertive personality, the person that's not so assertive, but then the the shockers where you'll have like a, one of the spouses that's like professionally super successful and you, you, you think, well, that must be who's making all the decisions. Then you find out, no, this is the spouse that's actually driving the boat on everything. So it is, it is kind of a great opportunity that we get to see people from all walks of life. And that's kind of what I want this show to be. I want this to be a healthy mix of our personal experience with clients, but also, I mean, I'm in my 21st year of marriage, and then um, you actually, you're not a newlywed anymore. No, I'm not. And I'm, I'm you're actually, around that seven-year itch mark. Yeah, there's a bunch of numbers that we're going to throw today that made me feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> as I was kind of like reading through and thinking about it. Um, and so I'm going to be interested to kind of talk about that because it's not a newlywed, but it, it is sort of a unique time in the marriage. So we're, we're going to have a, a mix of stories as well as experiences, as well as some of the professional mm-hmm. stuff we have. And then I, I just think it's great. I want to tell you how we came upon, uh, upon this show idea is that I actually was on a trip recently with some old neighbors from Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, I've moved away up here to Tennessee a few years ago, but I still get together once a year with my old Georgia neighbors. Right. And, and my wife called me, you know, the next morning and I said, well, how'd you sleep? You know, and I expected her to kind of miss me a little bit, yeah. but she, she was all worked up. And I said, well, what's going on? She says, I had a dream that you passed away. It was pretty vivid. It said nightmare, and then she right? she goes, I didn't have, she didn't say nightmare. So maybe, I, <laughs> but I'm assuming, um, and, but she said, I didn't have access to anything. I didn't know how to get into it. And, and that shocked me because you guys know who've been following the money guy show. You know, I do try to do a really good job with net worth statements mm-hmm. and other things and having open lines of communication on what we share as a couple sure. constantly. But I realize there's a chink in that armor. And the fact that if access to accounts is something that she probably, she even, you know, she, she she's on the accounts, yeah. she's on the accounts, but she doesn't know how to get into the accounts. Yep. So it made me think, we need to redo this because I had the solution. I knew the solution as soon as I had the phone call with her. And I'm going to share that. When we get to making your marriage all season in the last apartment, we have this broken into three segments. We have it broken into newlywed, you know, beyond newlywed and all the things you need to do to make your marriage successful. And then the last part is how to make your marriage all season financially. And that's where we're going to talk about all the risk things you can do. And I have a great tool to recommend that's going to fix all those access points. Now, if you're new to the show or if you're someone who is new to the show in the last five or six years even, uh, marriage and finances has been something that's been sort of a special topic to us because 
If you fast forward about six years ago, actually no, about uh, eight years ago, uh, we did a show, no, seven years ago. I'll get it right eventually. Math, seven, math is not your strong suit. It's not my strong suit. Seven years ago, we did a show titled Love and Marriage, dot, 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 and Finances. And what was going on during that period in time is I was about to get married. And That's me right. being the CFA, CFP, financial advisor, fill in all the other blanks. He's clueless, guys. Clueless. I had, it, I had it all figured out. And I knew how finance were going to work in my marriage. So we did a show of what my expectations were in marriage. And then I committed to you that I would track exactly how financial management went through our first year of marriage. And you actually did it. And one year later, we did another show titled Marriage dot 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 and Education to see how close I was, how much I had to figure it out. If you haven't had a chance to check out the shows, you should go look at them. April 27th, 2012 and June 14th, 2013. All you have to do is go to moneyguy.com and then when you pull up on the show, we have an archive section. We actually have a great search bar. Mm -hmm. I was on somebody else's blog. They did not have a search bar. I was like, add a search bar to your blog. Um, but it's great. Just type in marriage. You'll see all that mm -hmm. stuff pop up. That's what I did when I was going and pulling this. So go to moneyguy.com. By the way, if you have not given us your email address, please do. We're going to ask you for your zip code just in case we want to drop in your neck of the woods. We're trying to figure out where all the Money Guy family is. And then I, I, we always fail to talk about this. Go and subscribe and hit that bell because you want to be notified on YouTube so you can also be a part of this ticker that we have right behind us. We want this number to get to 25,000 as fast as possible. And then, by goodness, I want to get to 100,000. I want to have in the background... Somebody just did it just I now. I want to have in the background, in addition to the iPod, the original iPod that made this thing happen, I would love to have that play button that we'll get from YouTube yep. once we cross 100,000. So, so make that happen for us, guys, if you could. We're giving away all this free advice. That's all we ask is um, for a little attention in that aspect. So let's kind of jump into this thing, Bo. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't overlook that we did this in 2012 and 2013. I have your answers, oh. and I plan on picking on you oh. throughout the show. This, so this is, will be kind of fun. I've essentially got my salt shaker. I've opened the wound on yeah, you, and I, was, I plan on kind of pouring this in throughout the episode. You'll notice I didn't actually say what we talked about. Yeah, I, I, got, kind of I got the numbers. Okay. I got the numbers right here. So let's kind of right. let's talk about newlyweds. So newlyweds, I mean, let's face it. When you get married, you think it's all going to be just... Rainbows and unicorns, man. Oh, man. It's just going to be so awesome. And, and, it, and it truthfully, in the long term, it is. But in that first year, it's just change. Mm -hmm. And that change can create some, some just drama. I yeah. mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I think that if you ask me what my hardest year of marriage was, I would tell you it's probably the first year of marriage. It's because it's one of those things of, because when you're getting married, you're thinking about all the cool things you'll start getting getting to do together, but you don't think about who's cleaning the toilet, who's yep. in charge of, um, you know, making sure the dishes are done, you know, does who one, does the laundry. Does one person do dishes as soon as they're done eating or does somebody else let them kind of wait and fester and boil over and get gross? <laughs> we, I wonder what's or, going, or whatever. I wonder what y'all fight at just, your house. That's just, just an example. I wonder who's OCD. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder. But anyway, so, and the data supports this, that, you know, in the first Year of the first two years of marriage, ten percent of marriages fail. Man, that's sad. Yeah, that's a sad statistic. Is. Well, if you think that's bad, in the first five years of marriage, twenty percent of marriages fail. So that's one in five in yeah, the first five in the years. first five years, and then that number increases to another twelve percent by the time we get to ten years of marriage. Wow. So we're already up to thirty-two percent of marriages fail within the first ten years. So there's a lot of 
change that's going on and some people just do not adjust. Sure. And then I want to give a little more perspective for all our newlyweds on is this seven year itch thing, Boeing, you're right dead in the middle yep, of this. That's right. Is this legit? And um, I want to say the umber, the answer is actually yes, because listen to this, and this is coming from the census data that the government compiles. In the 1920s, the average length of a marriage to end in a divorce was 6.6 years. So just to understand. That's 1920. Yep. So in 1974, same data points. It's now seven and a half years is the average for marriages that fail. 1990, it was 7.2. Here's a win for recently. It's eight, eight years. years. Okay. So here's my advice to people, because like I said, this is going to be stories, analytics, as well as our experience. There is a huge benefit, I think, around six to, to eight years of marriage. If you need to go get a tune-up on your marriage, mm-hmm. by goodness, do it. Yep. I mean, this is, this is the time to go and, and talk to somebody. Maybe the communication's breaking down in some ways about finances or other parts of your mm-hmm. marriage. Go, don't swallow the pride and go talk to somebody. And I think you'll, you'll be better for it. Um, And then I want to give this last bit of tidbit and then we'll start getting into financial advice. Okay. Here's Brian's advice on, on the whole seven year itch and things is that you got to control. And this is what I learned. You got to control that inner voice. Mm. Yeah. You told me that a lot. I do. I don't mean to tell you the same advice over and over, but it is one of those things when I know I've talked to somebody, you know, as our marriage was in this six to eight year mark. And one of the things was that you have this inner voice, this gatekeeper that is telling you whether life is good or whether life is bad. Right. You know, so they're either an optimist or a pessimist. If you don't control the outlook of that voice, it will impact. And by the way, that doesn't just end with your marriage. That, that is also with your job. Yep. That is also with your financial goals. you got to create an optimistic gatekeeper in that inner voice that is kind of pushing you, that invisible hand that's pushing you in a positive direction. So let's kind of talk about the, these three steps I had for a newlywed, which was structure, transparency, and planning. Okay. So let's first talk about the structure. This is building the foundation together so that this marriage is built to last for the long term. So you're saying if you're going to do something well financially in a marriage, you probably want to start out that way. Yeah. Not say, oh, we'll have that conversation later or figure out that thing later. You probably want to start with that foundation in place. So let's go ahead and Go ahead and knock it out big here. The first question everybody's going to want to know is joint versus separate bank accounts. And I feel like we get that question all the time. A lot of times we'll have spouses say, well, should we do joint? Should we do separate? Should I do my thing? She do her thing? He do his thing? What's the answer? Okay. First, you need a visual. I want you to think about a big honking boat that's on a lake. Uh, Honking is a Southern expression. It means a very large vessel. It's a big old boat, and I want you to think about it. This thing has two huge outboard motors. Okay. You can see this boat, and you're like, wow. Uh, maybe, maybe we even should talk about this like a big cigar boat that's on the ocean. You know, those okay. speedboats you see racing, racing across Miami. Um, two big outboard motors. Now, here's the visual I want you to get. Right now, when you think about a boat, you think, okay, you got two motors, but there's only one steering wheel. Right. Right? So right. when you turn that one steering wheel, it's actually turning... The motors, they're so synced they're up. moving in sync, yeah. What if this boat, this special boat that we ha- we're talking about now, has a steering wheel on the left side for the left motor and has a steering wheel on the right side for the right motor? How, how well would that boat drive? But that is exactly, if I could give you that visual, that is exactly what's going on with a lot of marriages 
when they try to do everything separately. Mm -hmm. My personal opinion is I do want you to do joint assets. Now, I know a lot of you guys, oh my God, you're probably pulling hair out. You're throwing papers around in your room. I'm going to give you some exceptions to the rule, but you got to hear me out on why I'm thinking that joint is better than individual and kind of follow this thing all the way through. I, I read an article this cracked me up because I was trying to do some due diligence and research on separate accounts versus joint account. And I came across an article and this is, I kid you not, this is the quote from the article. It's as a major draw drawback to joint accounts. This is the quote. It says, some couples may feel a loss of financial independence. Oh, so when we get married, we have a loss of financial independence. Here's the clue that I needed these people to understand. You're married. <laughs> Of course you lost financial independence. You're married. I mean, this is once you're married, independence, you say I do, I mean, independence kind of flows out the window. That's, that's right. It's not just that, you know, two become one is not just, okay, I promise to keep myself only in the bedroom. It's also that you are keeping yourself where you're sharing everything. Sure. And I think that that sometimes gets glossed over in our society where we don't get into the details of that. And here, here's the thing, a lot of the research shows that 76% of couples said they shared at least one bank account. That mm -hmm. does not mean they're sharing right. everything, but at least they're sharing one bank account. But I think that's a skewed data point because that means even couples that are doing things separately, they probably do set up one account that they all can share, you know, transfer money into. And I feel like probably, you know, in our experience working with couples, because we have clients who do all kinds of different ways of financial management, that's the, the setup we most often see. Uh, there's a this person's stuff, a this person's stuff, and they have one joint thing that pays bills and they both put money into, but it's still not necessarily the most cohesive structure. Well, here's the thing. When I find out I have a show topic, I'm, I'm a collaborator. I walk around the office. I walk around at lunches. And when I see people, I will start asking them questions on their thoughts towards things. Sure. So for the last week, I've known I wanted to do this show topic. I've been walking around asking people, what, you know, how do you manage your money? How do you and your spouse manage your money? And when I found people that do it separately, I said, now tell me, you know, y'all been doing this for years. Is there anything you looking back on it? Would you have done it differently? And then the other question I ask them is, is what have you learned right. from, from doing it separately? And, um, and until recently, like one of the people I talked to was separate their entire marriage. And then recently they started combining everything, you know, mm -hmm. they combine their accounts and so forth. And I said, well, what did you learn about that endeavor from starting this way and now ending up here? And what was shared with me is that she felt like communication was a lot better now that they're sharing they're all those financial the assets thing. versus when they're all independent. It, it kind of creates an adversarial relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll pick on some friends and neighbors I've had where we've sat on their back porch and they're like, have you seen how much she spends at Target? I mean, you know, you're like, yeah. but if you're a joint, look, I might have that same feeling about my wife's, but, right. but it's coming out of the same pot. So yeah. it just doesn't feel like the, the money is is. Sure. Separated yep. as much as it is. So I think open line of communication definitely can be lost. And then this is another thing I want to talk about um, is big team, little me. Now, yeah, all, all of my, my high school football players probably recognize they walked around with shirts that had that. You know, I know it, it, Henry County High School back in Georgia, where I'm from, all the football players walked around. They had a big old team, you know, it had team, took up half the T-shirt on the back. And then it was little old me underneath. Uh -huh. And that's what, you know, kind of your marriage 
is that way too, is that you're thinking about the, the, the bond and the unity of the marriage before you're thinking about yourself. It's very selfless. Um, but that does make me think about my first fight with my wife. Okay. Um, I can, was it over I, money? I, it was not. Well, it could have eventually turned into money, but here's what it actually was about for me and my wife. We were in a McDonald's drive-thru. I looked at her and I said, honey, I'm ordering a strawberry shake. Would you like a, a shake or something? Um, and, and she goes, nope. And I said, okay, you sure? Because I don't mind buying you a shake. You know, do you want your own shake or something to eat? No, or something? no, no. No, I, I don't want any. And um, so I was like, all right. So I ordered a small strawberry shake. As soon as we got through the drive-thru, she says, can I have a sip of your shake? And I, I, I was like, no, because I, mean, I asked you. said you, that to her. You said I, no, no well, shake. Yeah, this is why it turned into our first fight is because I would have, I would have known she wanted it. I would have ordered a medium shake or ordered her her own small right, shake. Right. But in my efficient use of resources, you mine, wanted exactly a small shake. I wanted shake. a small shake. That's why I ordered a small versus a medium or large. So then when she wants to get into the resources the, of my strawberry shake, it's no longer a small my shake. My efficient calculation has now been put on tilt. So this led to a fight. I kid you not. This was our very first full-on fight. And I, I lost. I will, I will tell you, I learned that I'm probably a little too high wound <laughs> up on sharing things. Um, but it, it brings back to the point of big team, little me. If I'd have been a little more selfless, I would have gladly handed sure. over some of that strawberry shake. And I will tell you just progression, if you want to know how I've evolved as a husband and, and fast forward to becoming a father. First child is born. They start grabbing food off your plate. It's just a natural thing. You're probably you're, oh. I, you and I have been friends for yep. going on two decades now. We like to eat. That's it. You don't you don't touch another man's no. plate. You know no. it's kind of like getting in front of a pug dog before when you're feeding them. Because <laughs> if you, anybody's ever had a pug dog, you don't get in front of your pug dog right before he eats. And it's the same way. But my kids now grab at my food. I just you you're love like, them That's it. and you let them take it. So I know I've kind of the kid test has been passed. Yep. But big team, little me. A lot of you guys that have pulled your hair out, you've thrown stuff across the room. Let me let you pick it all up because I want to give you the exceptions on where joint might not be perfect. Um, Bo, I, I want to give you a chance. You'd written, because you review the show notes too, you said getting married later in life, but you should still think about joining out. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so one of the things, one of the reasons we most often see people decide to keep uh, their assets separate uh, is not because someone got married right out of college or when they're in their earlier mid-20s. It's folks who maybe they got out of school or they went on to create jobs and they actually begun building some wealth on their own, sure. right? So they had a 401k and IRAs and they had been paying their own bills and buying their own stuff and filling the blanks. <clears throat> and maybe later in life, in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, they decide to get married for the first time. Well, they already have established financial habits, established financial Those are financial what we accounts. call premarital assets. Sure. And, and premarital assets are actually legally protected. Yep. If you keep them separated, they are protected. I'm actually, that's on my list. Yep. I'm okay with premarital assets. So when I tell people I want you to have joint assets, I realize a lot of you might come into, especially if you got married later, you might have assets exactly what Bo said, that came into them. Those are premarital. You can keep those separated. But here's what I want you to hear me out on is anything that is created while you're a married couple, meaning that if you have a job and your spouse has a job or maybe only one of you works, it goes into a marital account. Not that separated premarital account, right. but you have your own marital joint account, and that's what you're living off sure. of. There's no separation where your paycheck goes into one, 
their paycheck goes in another. I want you kind of working off the same sheet yep. music. And so I don't disagree with that. Sure. I'm okay with, because there's a reason those have legal protection. Another one, let me go to another avenue with you. And this one I, I can tell you a story about is that inherited or family assets. Yeah. Yep. Um, I will tell you that we had a client um, years ago, no, no longer a relationship, but I always felt like the husband had a, an interest in his wife's family resources way assets. too much. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I knew because I, I knew if I, I just wouldn't let him commingle, right. you know, because I knew that she came into the marriage with this pot of money that was set up. And he was the, he, the thing is, they were both successfully, very successful professionally. But the husband was so bothered that she had this money over there. And I, and I used to have to try to counsel him and be like, why are you worried about that? Yeah, it's not so like anything. As long as you keep this marriage together, I mean, nothing. Then there's no issue. Why are you focusing on the, this family money that she inherited? You know, so it is one of those things. I have no problem with keeping those things. They are legally protected if you keep them separated. So, so think about that. That doesn't bother me. I also understand that sometimes when you get married, maybe it's a second marriage later in life. Um, there might be children from a prior yeah. marriage. Yep. Those type of things that create unique situations, but it all still comes back to. What is pre, you know, separate assets versus marital assets? And I will tell you, I want you, while you're married, having everything kind of flowing in through one joint account, and you use it so you can be a team together. That is, that is what I consider successful. That's exactly right. And I think even, even if you do have some of these other things going on, you said it perfect. An open line of communication is the most important thing. The example we always give is if you think about a symphony or an orchestra, and I'm thinking about this because your daughter just had a concert, right? Yep, yep. You, you have all these different instruments, all these different tools at your disposal. Well, if those tools are playing off of different sheets of music, different rhythms, different tempos, it's just going to make a lot of noise. If you you can get all of the instruments in your financial situation. That means your accounts, his and her accounts, joint accounts. If you can make sure everything is working cohesively together towards common goals for a common objective, it's going to make something beautiful. And it's going to operate much more efficiently. Yeah, the communication is going to be better. And I think it's it, that good communication with your financial life is going to flow into different parts of your other life, whether right. it's the bedroom, whether it's kids. Sure. There's all kind of great benefits to, yep. to having great communication. Um, let's move on to the second thing. I mentioned the first was foundation. The second thing is transparency. Mm -hmm. And this is a big one because financial secrets. Oh, yeah. When, what's crazy, Bo, is every time I read old show notes where we're talking about marriage, there's, there's a continued slippery slope of just being depressed or sad about how bad people are mm -hmm. with keeping secrets yep. from their, their spouse. Um, you know, and here's one. This is a different stat, is that one in five Americans keeps a checking, savings, or credit card account hidden from their spouse. Like like purposefully hidden, not just a spouse just isn't involved. Like you know, they, that's why you never know with statistics. Sure. Because I was thinking about this. Um, my wife and I, I'm going to share in a minute that she, she was worried about access to accounts. I've set her up in a special way that I'm going to share with all you guys too. And um, after we set it up, we started going through accounts and she'd asked me about this investment account. She's like, what is that account that, that you have over there? And it had $150. In it. I said, oh, that's, that's my old options account that I keep <laughs> open just to remind me how, how horrible I am with stock options. And she's like, oh, okay. So I didn't know if, it, if this was would fall into that yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like I, I kept it as a secret from her. I was keeping it more of as a reminder of how horrible sure. I was with investing in stock options. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if it would fall into that stat. Right. So we'll, we'll just, we'll put an asterisk next to the one in five to know some of these people are probably unwilling, you know, unwitting have accounts, people who have separate accounts yeah. without understanding that. But here's the thing. I want to pick on you millennials. Y'all get picked on enough, but why don't we go ahead and add on to this? 
28%, you know, the stat is one in five, so that's 20%. Mm-hmm. But millennials is 28% are hiding accounts. Yeah, it's so How funny. is that possible? When I read that, you know, because I thought about all my friends uh, that I spend time with and hang out with, I don't know of any of them that like I can think that are hiding accounts. Now, full disclosure, if they're hiding accounts from their spouse, they're probably not going to tell me about them, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just common sense. But I was really surprised by that because that doesn't seem common amongst my peers. I don't, I don't yeah, feel so, like So, I mean, it, it's it's never anybody. Your friends are always the yeah, three of right, the five because right. it's not you. It's that's not your right. three other friends. It must be that one other person that you don't that's know right. out of those five people they're talking about. So, But a lot of people um, might say, oh, it's insignificant. Oh, I have this... I have this little store credit card and I just do that thing on my side. But those small little secrets in, in truth may not always stay small little insignificant Well, and that's secrets. a good point. I mean, think about, I mean, I love Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Or you, you think about, you know, all ro- ro- you know romantic comedy movies that are in the theaters. About 80 to 85% of the plot lines are usually some little secret that they keep in the beginning of the relationship hidden. Right. And then the whole premise or narrative of the, the movie is because they kept that little secret, the whole thing blows right, up right, on right. them and they're trying to spend the movie getting it back. Well, it's kind of, I know that's an extreme, but it does kind of show how those little secrets can kind of create a slippery slope yep. uh, of breaking, creating a divide or a gap in the, right. in the marriage. And that's what you're trying to avoid because it can be a gateway into even darker secrets, that's I think. Because right. the thing about human nature is, is that when you break thresholds, the next one seems to get a little bit easier. And with trust, that's so true. Once you have that small little step forward, it's easier to take bigger and bigger step forwards, which can be so. Kind of to close out the whole the whole discussion and communication and transparency is just transparency and full disclosure is mandatory for ha- us any type of successful relationship or marriage. Is that that's that's what we think. That's what we've seen be work. Just make sure that, that you're keeping those lines of communication and being transparent about everything. So let's move on to the third thing. Budgeting together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this ties into, and by, by the way, this is one that lets me go back to 2012 and 2013. Yeah, Bo, I had a feeling this might be coming By the way, this poor guy, Bo, such a young guy back was, in 2012. Yep, I was a different... We had asked Bo, because this was budgeting together. We knew that, I think he was planning on their honeymoon. They were going to spend the plane ride to their honeymoon destination talking about budgeting. That's what I thought. Why, why wouldn't we? I mean, that's exciting stuff for brand new newlyweds. So, so much so that I asked Bo, I said, Bo, what do you think you'll spend a month on eating out? I don't even remember the number, but uh, oh, I have them. I I know I know what I think it would be right now. You said it was fifty dollars a month. It was your prediction. I mean, <laughs> you I'm, a, I'm a family I'm four a, now. That's I, one meal. You have two kids now. That's so, one meal. Two kids now, so you can't even probably go. <laughs> you might even be able to go to Chick Fil A or McDonald's <laughs> for much more than that. But the actual number, because you did track it for a year, was four hundred and thirty dollars a month. Yeah, I missed the mark on that one. Touch groceries. This one really cracked me up. Your prediction a year before, well, a few months before marriage, about a month before marriage, was $110 a month. <laughs> Do you realize that's $27.50 a week? We don't, what were y'all eating, ramen? I, it must have been ramen and the two-for-one no, actual number. Here, here's what's crazy. I was actually impressed with your actual number. Your actual number in your first year of marriage was $231 a month. So it's, it's almost two and a half times what you predicted. Right, but uh, but, but still, still, still sounds pretty good. But $57 a week? That's pretty, y'all were tight. I don't I think y'all were eating much that, that first year of marriage. Feed my wife very well, um, I don't think. This one I don't really have an answer because I guess you didn't answer it. But hair care products, you had predicted that she would only spend, I think, $100 on hair care products, and then you wrote not even close. Not, yeah, I don't, I don't know um, what the answer is. I still don't know what the answer is, but that's uh, 
some questions. So all those things lead me to, I mean, because I do think there is a point when you first get married, you're trying to figure out that thing is falling anytime. And it really is going to fall in my, my camera's line of sight. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. Y'all don't know, we had a glare coming in from the sun. So old engineer Bo here decides he's going to climb up on a ladder and he hung something with scotch tape because, you know, scotch tape is known for hanging things I very well. I don't know where we keep the other kinds of tape at yeah, the office. Well, it's it's one piece of tape from falling down. I'm hoping it gloriously makes it across the screen so you can see what we're talking about. But let's keep this thing going. So budget together. You know, you want to set up a reasonable amount, a reasonable amount to spend before you need to get approval. Sure, because I think I think we would all agree if you're in a marital relationship, before you make a big purchase, before you say, "Hey, I want to go buy a car" or "I want to go do whatever it is," if you're going to have an open line of communication, you probably ought to have a conversation on that and talk about that. That might not be the same for some people. Some people may have different thresholds than others about where that line is on how often or when you should have that conversation. Just so y'all know, before Bo got married, that month, that show we did, I think you had said that y'all were going to have discussions if you spent more than $25. It was something like that. It was maybe Now, four. let me ask you this, because y'all have now been married. You're in your seventh year, eighth year of marriage, whatever. What it, What do you think is reasonable that now the number is? Yeah. Now, you've seen the show notes, so but be honest. What do you think you want... If she spent this, she needs to talk to you. Or if you spent this, you need you need to talk to her. I don't, I don't, what is the number now? A couple a couple hundred bucks. I would have to. I mean, just because life is just Man, more you expensive have come now. A long yeah, way I from twenty five dollars. Yeah. By the way, that that is ridiculous. I told you at the time that shampoo costs more than twenty five dollars, <laughs> and she's not calling you every time she, she buys a bottle shampoo. of shampoo. So I mean, I will tell you the the research shows, and I, this when I saw this number, I was like, that's probably pretty reasonable. That's the number I would think for my wife and I is three hundred dollars. You know, okay, $300 yeah, is probably seems, a pretty reasonable, reasonable number. Um, you know, anything under that, you you love this person, so you're kind of counting that there's good common sense in what now, they're doing. I remember when we did the show way back when, we got some uh, some negative feedback on this. This is what we're not saying. We're not saying that you need to operate inside a relationship where you have to ask permission oh, no. from your spouse for something. My wife never has to ask me permission <laughs> to spend money, but because we do have a solid line of communication, we talk about it. So she's not saying, hey, can I go spend this? It's, hey, I'm thinking about this. Does this work? Well, that brings a good point because I want to make sure part of the reason I like joint accounts versus those separate accounts is that, think about this. My wife was working when I started this company, mm -hmm. and truthfully, that was a big part of the success those first two to three years that I was trying to bridge this company and get it up and going. So I knew I wanted to have joint assets so that when we made the decision as a couple that when she quit working to stay at home with, with our daughters, that I never wanted her to not have access to the resources, yep. whether it's the checkbook, whether it's the ATM card. And if we had separate accounts, it felt like it was going to create a divide where she was going to be coming to me for resources, and that's going to create some weird power dynamic that I don't know is healthy in a relationship. Yep. So that, that's, a, that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up and clarified that because that is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to create communication points so you open up what's going on with your spouse and you don't keep things or create adversarial type relationships because that is going to be the legacy of what's going to cause a little bit of a wound that gets opened up more and more until it bowls over and causes big problems right. in your marriage. Now, we hear this all the time, too. Uh, someone will say, well, look, my spouse, they're the creative type or they're the nurture. They don't care about the finances. I'm the one who makes all the decisions. I track everything. I put everything in Mint or Quicken, and 
I'm just the one who does the finances. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. We, very successful marriages cannot write that way. What does need to happen though, is even if you are the one that does the transactions and tracks it and follows it, you need to make sure that both of you have a voice in terms of what the ultimate goals are. What are the reasons you're saving money? What are the reasons you're spending money on whatever it is that you spend money on? You just yeah. wanna make sure because one spouse is the one that does the, the primary decision-making, uh, they're not the ones that are doing all of the decision making. Yeah, you want to you want to have open lines of communication it. with it. So, and um, the the last thing I put, I thought was interesting on here is I think it's okay with your budget because budgeting is so, you know it sounds constrictive in mm -hmm. the beginning. I will tell you I think budgeting is somewhat constrictive, but, but purposefully so because you want to make sure you can fund the things that are important, whether it's saving, whether it's travel, whether it's saving for the you know growing family or down payments on houses or cars. Budgeting is going to be your friend in those things, but it needs to be a, a collaborative affair because yep. if it's only one person, it's not going to be successful. Did that make it on the camera? I hope so. No, <laughs> it didn't. Sorry, the, the sheet fell or the you know the the knockdown. So here we are. But um, so I, I thought the biggest part we'd put was blow money is an important thing. No matter how good your budget is, you're going to notice that there's a category called miscellaneous. It just seems to create a hole in your bag of budget. That's right. I mean, money just drips out of there. So that's why I go ahead and make sure that you're budgeting what we like to call blow money, which means that, you know, some discretionary expenditure money right. for both spouses because it's just going to happen naturally and probably get grouped in a category called miscellaneous. That's right. I know when we looked at your marriage after the first year, that was your biggest surprise is that you that category lost every month. And not just my biggest surprise, it was my biggest category, yeah. which meant I didn't have a very uh, well thought out or well structured budget because of that. Um, let's kind of transition into beyond newlyweds. Okay. This, is, this is people, you've been married, or even newlyweds, you need to know this skill set and this data so that you can be successful as you go into your marriage as well. So this is, this is kind of the setup, is the first thing I think is important, and we advocate for this constantly, you gotta do a net worth statement. It, it may be it may be the single I don't know say the most important, but it, it's up there. It, in a marital relationship, it's one of the most important documents that you can put together to make sure that you are on the same page. Because if you don't know what you have and where it's at and how to get to it and what it is, then do you really even know if you're on track to wherever it is you want to go? It is the it is just so, 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 so important. Anybody who's watched this show or been part of the Money Guy family, you know that we do annual net worth statements ourselves. And a big thing, I like to turn it into almost like a date night where I will share what's the changes and compare and contrast all the things that have happened with our net worth with my wife every year. And then I give her an actual printout that she can keep. So in case something happens to me, she has access, knows exactly. This is the breadcrumbs of what's going on in our financial life. And it's actually been a great thing. And I'll tell you, we think this is so powerful and so good. Stay tuned, guys, because in the next few months, we are going to actually start selling a net worth course. And by the way, anybody who's part of the Money Guy family that's transitioning into becoming a bound wealth family members, you're getting this stuff for free, too. Right. So I don't, want, I don't want you guys going, well, I want access. You're going to get access because you're part of our wealth management side. But we want to open up something that creates a tool for people who are just brand new to maybe marriage or are getting started and they want to have that template and all the, the tools that, because we're going to go beyond just a net worth template. 
We want it to be kind of a dashboard that's of right. success. So that's something that's coming, but it's really powerful. But there's a new progression that does need to occur because I realized my wife didn't have all the passcodes mm -hmm. for all of our accounts. She didn't know how to get in. She knew what we had, but didn't know had necessarily no without going into the physical branch at the bank or calling the 1-800 number of our investment company. It was Access was going to be much harder. Right. I've got a solution for you, so make sure you're hanging in there for that. Um, but this really is going to be the tool for, for, for success. It's also what's the roadmap of your marriage. It's going to create effective communication between the two of you. It's just going to open up things a lot more if you have that tool of having a net worth statement right. that you're doing together yep. and reviewing. Don't let this be something that the financial person prepares and then it gets under lock and key within wherever you, the cloud or wherever you store your data and your other spouse never knows what you've got going on because then it's it's kind of like a tree falling in the mm -hmm. woods. It just doesn't didn't happen. That's right. Um, so let's talk about thoughts. We, I just kind of rapid fire. I want to hit a few things that I think come your way when you're in marriage. Some of this I hope you've discussed even before you've hit marriage. No, certainly before the seven year mark. <laughs> but if you have, um, if you haven't, maybe these can be conversation starters for you and your spouse. Um, this first one's kind of ridiculous because it is hopefully something you've discussed. Kids. Hopefully this was discussed before you, you said I do end, because yeah. that's such a huge thing. Savings goals. Guys, this is a big one. I, I think we, especially if you start looking at your, your marriage as an enterprise that everything needs to be aligned and moving the same direction, figure out where your savings goals are. We want you to be at 15 to 25% of your gross income as fast as possible. That's how you'll get the compounding interest working in your favor. So make that happen sooner, not later. Right. The next thing was lifestyle and consumption. It, it's, it's so funny you talk about savings goals and then consumption well, because I mean, I, I'm trying those to two are in things. exact contrast, right? And you have to make sure that as spouses, you're on the same page. What I found in my marriage, as well as what I found when we talk to all kinds of clients all over the country, is generally speaking, in a lot of marriage, there's one who places more value on saving. Yep. They get more excited, more. We cover about that it. when we have brand new clients. We That's see right. where are you more of an emotional person that like gets a, a high out of spending. Are you more the analytical person that loves kind of squirreling it away into a savings account? That's it's interesting exactly right. to compare and contrast those things. But it is one of those things you need to, and that's why I put them together. That savings goal is hopefully going to be a win. You get excited about where you want to be, but then you got to know the only ways you can grow that savings goal is either you have to make more money or spend less money. So you got to, those are, they're interconnected. So you got to make sure you talk about the consumption and the spending. And then that's where we'd already talked about, is there a level of spending that you need to go talk to open a line of communication with your spouse? I mean, I'll tell you a dirty little thing I did. It was right before I got married. Oh. No, this is this is not that bad. I mean, in the grand scheme of it, scandalous. Everybody the two buckle weeks up. before I got married, I went and bought a, a new set of golf clubs. Oh, because you didn't know if you get approval. I didn't what? know if I'd get approval. You know, once and I didn't want to have any secrets from my wife. So two weeks before I got married, I bought and I had that set of golf clubs for probably ten <laughs> years before I got a new set. So and by the way, if you saw me play golf, you'd know. The technology ain't helping, but it's it's one of those things that you know you feel like you need to have yeah, a good set of golf clubs. I and I probably could have gotten approval, but it was just easier to sneak that one in. Fair enough. It, once you're married, though, that type of stuff doesn't need to just happen. That would right. probably get me in trouble because that would have been a secret. Yeah. You need to have that open line of communication. Let's talk about debt. This is a yeah. big one. You need to set up ground rules for credit cards. Uh, but but both in. Uh, consumption, how you use them, and also on how you open them and communicate yeah, that they've been. I won't get to the open them, but I've got a cool story about that one. But the ground rules for credit cards, y'all know this because you've listened to all of our other shows. 
Credit cards are not supposed to be debt. They're supposed to be for convenience sake. If you're not paying your credit card off monthly, you don't need to use them. Right. I, I'm gonna go cold. This is a binary decision. You either open it and you can use it if you pay it off monthly. If, you can, if you're carrying any type of balance, the binary decision is you gotta cut it, shut it down, cut it up, and probably follow something more like a Dave Ramsey where right. you just don't even do credit cards. Right. I hate to be that cold-blooded with it, but y'all need to be aligned on that because Credit card debt is one of the probably the most predatory things. If you think about the interest rates they're charging, if you want to ever see how powerful compounding interest is, pay the minimum on your Look credit card. Look on the card. other end, yeah. I mean, that is something that I think is very powerful. So definitely pay those things off. You need to have a, con a conversation on that. Here's the second thing, and I, unfortunately, this wisdom comes at my expense. Which is always my favorite kind my of wisdom. My wife is good with money. I want to give her a huge compliment. I am blessed that I married a beautiful woman, but also married a woman that's kind of good with money. I mean, she she might, when she gets sad about something, she might do some emotional shopping, but usually she's got a great head on her shoulder about money. But there's one problem or one fallacy that got us sideways in our marriage a little bit. She knew I liked to get a deal, and she likes getting a deal so much that she'd go to these stores and they, you know, she'd have, maybe it was getting the kids new clothes for the school year or something. Right. It'd be a decent amount of money or furniture. And then she would, they'd say, would you like to open up a store credit card? We'll give you 10% or 15% off. Well, that 15, sounds that's great. That's a big discount. You know, everything you spend today, we'll get you, you know, right now. Just think about it. You got $200. We'll give you 20 bucks off if yeah. you open up a credit card. My wife opened up some store credit cards. The problem is she did not tell the household bill payer of these store credit cards. So all the benefit of that 10 to 15% discount was lost through late payment yep. and interest expenses. Because remember, bill payer didn't know these store credit cards had been open. So it wasn't until letters showed up a month or two later that I recognize that this happened. Right. So that's why you got to have open conversation on debt and ground rules about opening up store credit cards and, and paying off credit cards because that stuff is a must. And then I think it's also good for families to have open communication about what debt you have as a couple. You know, there's going to be student loan debt. There's going to yep. be personal debt. These things, you definitely need to have a plan of action how you guys are going to attack this debt to get it, you know, squashed, squashed as fast as possible so you can keep building in resources. You know, just a quick thought here, only because we've seen this play out really well or seen it play out really poorly in marriages uh, when you get married, now we've talked about separate assets and that sort of thing, but when you bring in debt to a marriage and you're committing that you're going to get married, it kind of stops becoming your debt and it kind of becomes our debt. And yeah. so it's something well, it's you just think about that way and not allocated. use it as a, as a weapon. Um, pay attention to, we've gotten done shows on order of operations. So pay attention to order of operations for how debt will go into life and financial decision-making. Work. This is an important one because, guys, we spend a lot of time with our work families. Mm -hmm. So you probably want to have open line of communication on what is a reasonable work week yep. and then how we're going to do that to be successful in our career. Open up that line of communication. Charity and giving. You know, this is something that I didn't really recognize. You're better at this, Bo. I'm just going to give you credit. My wife is better at this. I probably was a little stingier on giving in sure. the first part of, of when I got out professionally. Um, but I will tell you, as you guys maturing your money, you're going to realize one of the greatest benefits and greatest things for your psychology as well as just fulfillment is becoming and learning to be generous with your resources. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things that as a couple, even you're going to figure out that we're hardwired to do this, but 
you got to have an open line of communication about it. That's right. Yeah, and you know, and I appreciate that compliment, Brian. Uh, I'll give my wife an even bigger compliment. She she's even more generous than than I am. But there has to be some balance because if right. it were up to her, she, her, she'd just give everything away. That's just yeah. the kind of person that she is. Uh, maybe even to a detriment. So that's why if you if you do. I have this kind of inclination you have to make sure that both spouses are aligned and what the ultimate goals and motivations are behind those things. Um, next category, this one's, in fact, I'm trying to, because I recognize the time and I was like, man, we got to kick this thing yeah. up. Um, but marriage is so important that I think I see this thing is, is carrying on because we have so much to share. But travel, this is, guys, I want to give you the best date night idea you can do. If you have a spouse that also wants to explore the world, because remember, I want you to create memories not buy more stuff mm -hmm. because you get to keep the memories forever. It's perpetual, whereas stuff gets old and ends up getting donated to, to a charity at right, some point. Right, right. And that's not the way I want you to fund your charitable goals is by buying a bunch of junk and then giving it away. So I want you to think about travel. If you have a globe-trotting um, you know, spouse that wants to or they aspirationally want to, turn this into a date night. I want you to create a wish list or bucket list for the mm -hmm. next three to five years with your spouse and then y'all try to come up with a plan or a budget for doing this. Try, you'll turn travel into one of your favorite things to kind of talk about. We do this. And what's interesting is we always it's always very aspirational. You come up with a lot of lists. But it is fun to look back and think about the two or three things that you do knock off when you do a travel list. Um, retirement. In the beginning, this probably looks like something you're daydreaming about yeah, like 20, 30, yeah. 40 years in the future. But you're going to find as you mature in your marriage that you're going to have to figure out, are y'all retiring at the same time? Or does it make sense to stagger the retirement? Now, it's so funny is that, you know, especially with the empty nesters, there is different schools of thoughts on that. And it's Absolutely. not right or wrong, but it's fun to hear couples talk about that, that whole thing with retirement and making sure that their goals line up. And then the last thing, I put this on here, any fantasies. <laughs> no, when you hear the word fan it's not that kind thinking, of marriage it's show not, it's not that type it's of show y'all know we're, we're very boring here but so get your head out of the gutter but there is things I, I catch my wife watching bora bora videos on, on YouTube, YouTube all the time. I she, know I need to take her there she at want some one point. Of the, the huts on the water? Yes, that, of course. My wife I mean, so I know that. she wants to do that. I need to figure out a way to make it happen. So I know that's a fantasy of hers is to go to Bora Bora. Hut on so the water. So I've got to make that happen. I have a, a neighbor that um, and good friend that he told me from a young age that he just always aspired that he, you know, it was one of those things he, his parents weren't members. He wanted to be a part of a country club. Because he oh, wanted yeah. to just have a group yeah. of guys that he could go and meet up at the clubhouse and drink go, a beer. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I thought that, so that's kind of a fantasy he had. And then we have a client right now that we're talking to that might be buying a lake house uh -huh. to retire to. I mean, so everybody has fantasies. Lay those things out. It's fun, especially if you're younger and you're new in your marriage. Lay that stuff out and, and kind of figure out what y'all are working towards because it's, if you're purposeful, it really makes the fulfillment of the path and the journey so much happy. Because realize the journey is more than half the fun, That's without right. a doubt. So let's transition to the third thing I want to cover today is how do you make your marriage an all-season marriage mm -hmm. where you prepare for all things that could come your way? When I say all-season, I'm thinking about, we all think about the spring and the summer. That's, you know, because when you think about your marriage, you want to think about the the, the, the greenness and the flowers blooming and the freshness and crispness in the air. But, but we know that there's probably going to be a fall, which is, as well as a winter to your marriage. Uh -huh. So you need to prepare for all things. So this is what life insurance. Sure. And look, life insurance, if you have anybody in your household that's counting on your income, you need to go buy term life insurance. Absolutely. And it's so cheap and it's so easy to get. 
I mean, and we recommend, here, here's an easy thing to think about. 10 times your income, plus add in there any life goals like debt or college expenses that you need to add on top, and you'll see that it's just not that much money. And if you're trying to figure out the term of how long your term insurance should be, when is the last kid going to be out of the college? And when is the la- you know, when is the house and debt going to be paid for where you think you're going to be financially yeah, independent? Yeah, when do you hit financial independence? When are you truly financially independent and not relying on that income? Uh, and then also, we'd say this because we've done Ask the Money Guys on it. If you have a stay-at-home spouse, make sure you buy some insurance yep. on them too. Just because they're not generating income to the household does not mean there's not tremendous worth being created by That's them. Right. And then let's talk about disability insurance. Disability insurance, what is its purpose and what's it doing? Yeah, exactly. It's just what it sounds like. If you become disabled, this is the thing that's going to pay for or replace your income. If you have a spouse or kids that depend on you or, or, or if you as a spousal unit each have incomes, you need to make sure that you're not just protected against premature death, but you're protected if you're sidelined for yeah. a little bit. If you're on the sidelines, you need to make sure you have disability insurance. We've got some shows on that uh, that you can, you can check out as well. Wills. You know, this is one of those things, guys. You know, if you want to have a voice outside once you leave this earth, having a good estate document to mm-hmm. speak for you is an important thing. A lot of you, especially once you have children, if you think it's going to try to hard to figure out which sibling or you know aunt, uncle, or family member or friend is going to take care of the kids, think about how well the state's going to do making that decision for you. It's going to be you know horrendous. So it's better for you to kind of really buckle up. Y'all have an open line of communication and get that figured out because that's a big part of what the will is going to do for you. I think a lot of people get scared of this. I was having this conversation uh, actually this past week. I didn't even tell you this in okay. show prep. Uh, and I think this is such a valuable way to think about it, estate, estate planning. It's kind of like the way you think about saving money because a lot of people get really nervous. Like, I don't want to go see an attorney. I can't afford it. Not going to do wills. Don't want to do it. There's a progression, just like there's a saving. All right, when you first start out, you might just put some change in a piggy bank. Yeah. That's okay. So when you first are starting to have this conversation, even if all you do is write down your wishes on a sheet of paper, right? At least get them on something out of your head. That's a good first step. Well, then as you begin to progress in your financial life, there's nothing wrong if you want to use some online legal service, boiler super low cost, boiler, yeah. boilerplate. That's a great next iteration. At least have something written down, something recorded. And then when it makes sense, it does make sense to have an actual legal document drafted up by an attorney so that you have it. Don't let step three prevent you from at least doing step one, because just like you said, Brian, if it's hard for you to make those decisions, have those conversations now, imagine how much harder it's going to be when you can't speak for yourself. You're not even in the room to talk to you about it, what's going on. And then this is just a tip, because we're going to be talking about this in an upcoming show. If there's anything, maybe maybe you have assets or you have things that have a lot of sentimental value but not market value to the world, write on, create a letter that gives a list of what you want to go where. Because if you want to leave a legacy for conflict, just let siblings and kids fight over this uh-huh. stuff. That's not what you want to do because that's what they're probably going to, they're going to fight over the money, potentially the liquid money, yep. and they're going to fight over the sentimental that's stuff. Right. So go ahead and just make that path as easy easy as possible for them by letting your wishes be known. Um, account asset a- access. This is the one I did the whole show for. Um, my wife said, you know, she had that bad nightmare that I'd passed away. She wasn't going to have access to the bank accounts. Guys, there's an easy solution to this. And, and I realized I had a gap, even though I've been doing net worth statements for my wife for the last two decades, I had not created a way for her to have easy access to the accounts. You know what the best thing in the world, and by the way, this is also going to create a lot of security protection for you, 
LastPass. Now, look, I get nothing. I didn't register for any affiliate links or anything right. like that. And I know there's several players in this field, but I, you know, but I've had experience using LastPass, and I, I think it is phenomenal because what we are able to do is I created several. Sh- basically, I went into my LastPass account, and if there was any financial accounts that I had for our, you know, for the couple, credit cards, you know, mortgage, my bank account statements, our investment accounts, I shared account access yep. with her. And it was a very easy thing. She's got her own LastPass account. I've got mine. Now we have a shared account. So if I ever need to update passcodes or anything, right. it will update it right there in the app. And here's the cool thing about LastPass. I now only have to remember one big, awesome passcode and then it does everything else. Right. I mean, I am up to, I bet I have over a hundred accounts on LastPass and none of them have the same. And pass that's code. awesome. That's a hundred usernames and passwords you able to get out of here and make sure had secure separate. Yeah, because here, here's the truth of the matter. Before I was using LastPass, I thought I had these awesome passcodes. But when LastPass kind of inventoried what was going on, I had about six to eight different passwords, different versions of right, them. Right, right, right. And it was, you know, my Pottery Barn user ID and password might have been very much the same thing as my mortgage or my bank yeah. account. That's horrendous from a safety perspective because a hacker could get in, you know, it's going to be much easier for probably them to get into that database at Potter. You know, I'm not picking on Potter, but just say a retailer. It's easy for them to get into. Potter barn, we're sorry. It's easy for them to get access through a retailer and and then potentially go and try that same user ID and password on some of the bigger financial institutions where they could cause a lot of turmoil for you. Get that, and in addition to making you more secure, it's going to give access to your spouse right. if something ever happens to you. That's that's priceless. Yep. That truly is priceless. Sure. And and believe me, my wife, as soon as I gave her access, because I spent an entire evening going in there and, and setting her up, and then transition, we went we went that whole night. It was kind of it wasn't a date night, but it was just a night of us sharing. I just could sense the the the. Not not happy, but relief. Yeah, relief yeah. of knowing she now could get to those accounts if something happened. And as a husband, that made me feel so much better knowing that that was just one more transparent thing that was shared. So now, not only did she have the net worth statement, but she also now had access to those accounts. It just it made me feel like as a marriage, a really healthy thing. Yep. Um, and here's the last thing to kind of close it out with: What is your household backup CFO plan? Now, I say this on purpose. This is very deliberate in the fact that we have so many brilliant Money Guy family um, listeners, viewers, that you guys could do this in another life. I mean, we have two pilots that are clients that no doubt these guys coming from, you know, like engineering type mindsets, they could have done this for a living. They're just as analytical as we are. And then I remember when they became prospects and we do the, the investment policy statement meeting and we show them their their portfolio and we show them ours. And, and I'll be honest, we've had some very transparent conversation about, you did an awesome job. Yeah. You know, usually this is not one of those slam dunk high five moments where we get to show you how bad you were doing and how right. great we're going right. to now transition you. They, but they were, But here's what they told us. And this is something I wanted to share with you guys. We've had brilliant clients tell us, the reason I'm here is because I trust you guys from listening to what you're doing. I know you've created an environment of you think about money the way I the do. The same way I And do, I'm yeah. worried that I'm getting up in years that I want to make sure that this entity, this my legacy, doesn't go away when I pass away, mm-hmm. that I want to make sure my spouse is taken care of the sure. same way that I've been doing it. And you guys are the closest thing I've seen to that. And that, that is the biggest compliment. And, and, I, and I, there's a part of me, I feel weird bringing this up because it does have that, you know, you, you hate talking about 
those type of times mm-hmm. when somebody passes away. Sure. But from a legacy perspective, it is brilliant to think about those things before yep. you leave this earth. So who is your backup CFO is a powerful thing I think you can think about in your marriage. Yep. Um, I kind of want to, you know, I never talk about it, um, you know, until ver- the very end, but this is a great segue in the fact that we work with clients all over the country. That's right. I mean, I want you to go to the money guy. Dot com, you know, we go to our website and I want you to understand the abundance cycle that we do is that we give you all this free information on purpose for the thought that one day when you become so successful, you'll remember the guys that kind of loaded you up with all that free advice, or maybe you need that backup CFO. But this is what's while we, you know, we didn't start for this purpose, but we've realized this was all started to be kind of for the people who didn't qualify for, for net worth, right. you know, for big advisors and, and fee-only objective advice, we, we have kind of transitioned and realized that this is a great resource for us to get connected with people all yep. over the country. Uh, one of the things that we do if you're out there listening in iTunes world or Stitcher world, uh, we record a live show every other Tuesday at 4.45 Central Time. After the live recording, we hang out with a couple hundred, soon to be hopefully a couple thousand of you, and answer your questions. Uh, we even send out tumblers, give these bad boys away. So if you're around right now, hang out. We're going to answer your questions. Start sending them through. If you're on Facebook, send them through the chat. If you're on YouTube, send them through the chat. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out a live stream, come hang out with us. And we're going to answer your questions. Hey, and if you like what we're doing here, Make sure you, like I said, subscribe on YouTube. Go ahead and hit the bell button on there so you get notifications. Make sure you know you subscribe through whether it's iTunes, whether it's Stitcher, iHeartRadio. But then also, guys, just tell a friend, tell a neighbor. We're not going. We, we're very grassroots here. This is not owned by any big corporations. We only grow by you telling your friends and family. So keep it going. I'm Brian. This is Bo. We're the Money Guy Show. We'll be back soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. (laughs) 